0: it's green across the screen this morning for Asia-Pacific markets. Tokyo is up nearly 2%. Seoul is up more than 1%. Sydney is choking up some gains as well. This morning's gains come on the heels of an overnight rally on Wall Street. Investors are also watching out for China's latest price data, which is due out this morning. Joining me now for a closer look at what is behind the market action is Sunny Hamid. He's Director for Wealth Management at Financial Alliance. Good morning, Sunny.
1: Good morning, Michelle.
0: Good to have you here. We begin this morning here in Singapore, where Southeast Asia's third largest bank, UOB, is reporting a sharp rise in profits. Its business is definitely looking up. UOB netted more than $1 billion in the fourth quarter of the year, and that is almost 50% more than a year earlier. UOB's profits are being driven by strong loan growth as well as a rebound in credit card spending. UOB CEO Wee Echiong says, quote, the worst is behind us. Sunny, do you agree? Are UOB's profits a sign of strengthening regional economies?
1: Yes, I think it's really driven by the light at the end of the tunnel, which is um, the end of COVID. Um, I think all of us will agree that if Omicron is the last variant that we'll see, then um, basically things are normalising quite quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the numbers you mentioned in terms of uh, loans growth, credit card growth, uh, these are signs that confidence is growing. Companies are are borrowing again. Uh, People are spending again. Um, And I think at the same time, I won't be surprised also if the interest income starts to rise for many of these banks as interest rates normalize, move higher. Therefore, banks basically make the spread uh, from higher interest rates. So all of this add together um, to, to buoy their, their profitability and at the very beginning of it so um, mm-hmm. it does look as though we could see uh, a few more quarters of quite good growth but we need to understand it's also coming from at least past 24 months, which has been quite terrible for banks.
0: UOB is recommending a final dividend of 60 cents per share. This brings the dividend for the full year to $1.20. We're moving into a period of rising interest rates and banks are widely expected to profit as their margins on loans and credit cards rise, a point you made earlier. Sunny, what is your take on the banking sector, both here in Singapore and overseas? Is this a good time to invest in banks?
1: Yes, I think for the factors which I mentioned earlier, I think um, it will be uh, quite a good period for banks itself. But at the same time, I think you have to be a bit selective also looking mm-hmm. into the balance sheet of banks mm-hmm. in terms of their assets. Many companies' uh, loans itself could you know, still be under stress. We could still find some default lurking here and there. So I think um, selectively, yes, but I think in general, uh, it should be quite okay for banks.
0: UOB shares are up more than 20% since the beginning of the year. We're going to keep an eye out to see how investors react today to the bank's latest earnings. Now, on the topic of rising interest rates, meanwhile, the latest Federal Reserve minutes are due out tonight and there appears to be some debate within the Fed as to how fast interest rates should rise. So, investors are going to be passing the minutes closely for insights on this. Sunny, how many rate increases are you expecting this year?
1: I know, that's the uh, million-dollar question. Isn't uh, it? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, you know, it, it's still a moving target. Um, we, we had initially 75 basis points on the table, and we had Fed officials uh, coming out to suggest even potentially 25 basis points in the remaining seven meetings, and that comes up to about 150 basis points, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So it's ranged between 75 to 150 basis point. Um But somewhere in the middle would probably be a good guess. I think most Fed officials or Fed committee members are more inclined to take it less aggressively rather than shake the market or at least uh, cause overly concern, the market to be overly concerned. So I think uh, probably somewhere in the middle, maybe 75 to even 100 basis points is quite reasonable.
0: Okay, and in terms of a phased-in approach, how many increases are you expecting? I think the average is somewhere between 5 and 6 now.
1: So given that there are remaining about 7 Seven uh, meetings left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will not be surprised if we get one every other meeting. I think that would do it. Or we could even see a strategy whereby they front-load the, the increases, where we get the bulk of the one percent or hundred basis point mm-hmm. in the first four meetings, twenty-five each, um, or even one hundred and twenty-five basis point five times, and then they taper off and wait and see, uh, and leave the two other meetings as a kind of a buffer whether they want to raise or not. So it could be that kind of strategy which I think um, because it's really a question of confidence. Um, Mm -hmm. um, What they cannot afford is the market to see or to feel that the Fed is behind the curve. So this front-loading of the rate hikes could potentially be one strategy they adopt.
0: Still on the point of the rate hikes, so uh, many analysts, like you say, about five or six are priced into the markets. At the same time, we see the European Central Bank taking a more cautious approach to tightening monetary policy. In Japan, where inflation is still non-existent, the Central Bank is engaging in quantitative easing, buying bonds. And China actually lowered interest rates last month. It's expected to do so again. So what does this Divergence in rate policies mean for investors. With credit looser outside the U.S., should investors be looking more at global markets?
1: Yes, that's a good point. Also, a debatable point in the sense that basically it does suggest that markets outside the U.S. remain weak, and therefore there's a need for monetary stimulus. And when markets are weak, it presents opportunities from a valuation perspective. But then, when you have strong rates like that of the U.S., it also then presents to you a viewpoint that the U.S. economy is doing pretty okay. Mm -hmm. And therefore, stronger rates also will result in a stronger U.S. dollar. And therefore, you not only get gains both on the capital markets, but also on the foreign exchange side. So there are really two sides of the story to this. And I guess it really depends on the type of investor you are. If you are a little bit more of a growth type of investor, I think the U.S. represents that kind of opportunity because it is chugging along pretty well. Um, If you are a value type of investor, then offshore where many markets have been beaten down, you would probably want to make a bet on some picking up some good value markets or companies.
0: A top analyst at JP Morgan has issued a bullish note on China's markets, Sunny. uh, Gabrielle Santos says she's expecting China equities to offer the best returns over the next decade. Do you agree and what is your take on China stocks?
1: Yeah, The China conundrum is basically the fact that um, you, if you ask anybody in the market, it's binary. It's one of zero. It's either you're yeah. with China or you're against it. Mm-hmm. In a sense, that, and when I say against, it's not in a negative manner. It's just that evidence shows us that the uh, Chinese Communist Party has a very heavy-handed approach to the economy at this particular point uh, because of the social leanings and such. Um, When that happens, basically, you don't see the market fully functioning. You don't see capitalism fully functioning. Where companies are reproached because of supernormal profits that they make, uh, where focus is on them if they make very large profits and such, (laughs) you tend to think that, you know, in that case, how are companies actually motivated to try and beat expectation and and produce, you know, PEs of double-digit, triple-digit PEs and don't even have to think about political consequences behind it. So from that perspective itself, if the regulations and the approach from Beijing remains as they are today, it's hard to see that Chinese companies actually, or at least the market, doing extremely well over the next decade. Having said that, I believe value proposition, which means you don't look for companies which are potentially going to grow extremely fast because that attracts unwarranted attention. But you look for companies which have fallen far from where their valuations ought to be or where they ought to be based on the valuations. So it could China could turn from what we call a growth story uh, to, uh, all the Chinese markets would turn from a growth story to that of a valuation story.
0: Well put, Sunny. Let's turn to that point of, um, politics right now. Tensions along the Russia Ukraine border appear to be easing at least a bit. Russia says some of its troops are returning to the barracks, but U.S. President Joe Biden says that the threat to Ukraine and European stability remains. Sunny, how is this latest news impacting markets that the threat remains?
1: Uh, we, we did see a sharp rebound on Wall Street overnight, which um, suggests very strongly that the markets uh, seem to be quite happy with the progress, although things with tensions remain very high. The uh, fact that uh, there was a video between Putin and, and his foreign minister, if I'm not wrong, and Putin suggesting something along the line of negotiations, and now we have the physical withdrawal of some troops. So the jigsaws do seem to be falling into place to suggest that tensions are easing, but at any point in time, because there are just so many troops there, there are so many, the tensions are so high. You know, one small mistake, one small move of the pawn in the wrong direction. Uh, could trigger a catastrophe. So tensions still remain high, but I think markets kind of um, discounted a very bad case and seeing these kind of one or two uh, signals from from the Russians has given it a lot of relief. So it really depends on the next few days if we continue to see a little bit of these kind of signals from the Russians. mm -hmm. And I think the West has to give some face to Russia in terms of um, also maybe pulling back the, the troops and such. But right. if that happens, I think the markets will like it very much.
0: The S and P 500 snapped a three-day losing streak and nearly made up for all of its losses last week. It rose 1.6 percent. Tech stocks they did even better. The Nasdaq rose two and a half percent. Oil prices, meanwhile, have eased up a bit, though. West Texas and Brent crude they're both still trading above 90 U.S. dollars a barrel. Sunny, how does this latest news impact your investment strategy?
1: So what we're seeing is a bit of a pullback in terms of some of the um, Ukraine trade, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, higher oil prices, um, of course, there are other factors, but that actually added to the fuel, added fire to the fuel, or the fuel to fire, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um we also saw the sell-off in tech and such. So all these, basically, I think there's some position covering, um, and some people coming in to try and buy dips or, or buy the value big question now of course is if the Ukraine situation neutralizes and settles down um, how does the future look like for many of these assets? And I do think it's positive as long as we have excess liquidity in the system. We do have to remember, you know, even if the Federal Reserve hikes rates and withdraw some of the liquidity in the system, there's still massive amount. If they've, they've got about 9 trillion, 8 trillion worth of US dollars in the system,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, even if they uh, program to withdraw 1 trillion, that still leaves about 7 or 8 trillion. And if they do that every single year, withdraw 1 trillion, you still have like what, 8? seven, six, five. Um, Mm -hmm. Right before COVID, we had four. So it will take a bit of a few years before we reach the pre-COVID kind of level, which is already very high because pre-COVID was four times more pre-2008. So all in all, what I'm trying to say is um, liquidity still remains very abundant. The market just has to have some time to absorb all these changes because markets don't like uncertainty. So once things become quite certain, I think markets will have confidence to move higher.
0: right, from Geopolitics, let's turn to the world of the metaverse. Shares of the gaming company Roblox, they're down more than 10% in after-hours trade following disappointing earnings announcements. Uh, Roblox makes an open gaming platform, listeners, which lets players create their own worlds where you can interact and you can play with others over the internet. Roblox is also the first major company working on the metaverse to go public. Now, while Roblox's earnings came in below expectations, we should still note that the company has nearly 15 million active daily users. And that number is rising. From Meta to Roblox and even companies like Nike and Disney, Sunny, there's a lot of buzz over the metaverse, although many people aren't really sure what it is. So I want to pick your brain, Sunny. What is your take on this sector? How would you invest in it?
1: There are many ways to invest in it. As you mentioned correctly, one of the public listed companies is Roblox at this point. um, You could invest via coin and related to metaverses like that and the central land and such. Um, you know, my generation, I'm not sure about yours, but my generation, we find it very difficult to understand all these things. Um, I'll just give you an example where I think, you know, the next generation to them, it's, it's part and parcel of what they do. You know, I I, I, I asked my son, who is about 17 years old, um, why do you play something like Minecraft where things are fixated you know your your characters are all boxy. Why don't you? Why? And I see you also playing these kind of games where the characters are very real life type of characters. Uh, Grand Theft Auto and some shooting games where, where it's really realistic, it's like a movie. But you still move over and play these kind of very pixelated, boxy type, child like kind of games. Mm. And he told me because it's a different experience. He says the 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 one with the pixelated Minecraft like it allows me to my friends meet in this environment and we go have adventures in this environment, which is the so-called decentralized way of playing because you can invite friends, you can build your own stuff. Whereas in the la- in the former one, which I mentioned, or latter one, which I mentioned, which is fixed by the game producer, you go through stages, you, you play, you try and uh, move up and gain points and such. So one gives a different experience and the other gives a different... This was This is a 17-year-old, and even my younger one, a 15-year-old, mm-hmm. telling me, This is the differentiation between playing this game and this game, which I could not understand. (laughs) So what what, I'm trying to say, these kind of experiences, these kind of things that they do at this point, while we don't understand doesn't mean they don't enjoy it. And that's why I think you correctly mentioned Roblox is saying, what, 50 million users. I mean, that's mind-boggling. And I think that number will just increase as, as this generation is quite used to, to, to this kind of environment.
0: Well, thank you for taking us into the world of Minecraft. Yeah, I understand <laughs> it's sort of a an endless galaxy because uh, of, of just what players can bring to the game itself. So an infinite exactly. game, so to speak. All right. Another piece of metaverse news this morning. The Walt Disney Company has appointed a new executive to lead its metaverse strategy. Mike White will be Disney's senior vice president in charge of, quote, the next generation storytelling. Okay, let's turn to Singapore now. We're all anxiously awaiting the release of the government's new budget on Friday and most observers are expecting Finance Minister Lawrence Wong to announce some sort of tax increase, possibly a hike in the GST, maybe even a wealth tax. Sunny, if taxes do go up as expected, how do you think this will impact Singapore stocks?
1: It's always a question of what has been discounted. Uh, I think potentially a 2% increase in GST. Probably the market has already priced that in. Probably a little bit of change to the taxes across the board. I can't really pinpoint whether it's a wealth tax, whether it's um, more property taxes or, or taxes here and there. But, you know, the fact of the matter is every country in the world, as we come up from COVID itself, are trying to repair the fiscal damage that COVID has done to their, to their so-called fiscal position. The lack of a better word it's less pressing for Singapore because Singapore is after all a creditor nation has a huge amount of savings it's more pressing for other countries which have all the while been you know suffering from fiscal deficits and do not have reserves and such. Mm-hmm. but having said that also, I think the government is very prudent the government wants to take the opportunity to try and refill up the coffers again in in anticipation of future crisis. So do expect, I think uh, we will see, uh, but it's a very delicate matter. Um, It's a question of maintaining competitiveness and yet not putting too much pressure on on the lower side or the lower strata of the community or population um, as we just come out from COVID. So I think, I don't know, I mean, I I think what we could potentially see is um, profitability, whether it's property, whether it's stocks, whether it's um, other stuff. Um, because when you are an investor, you make profit. Um, sharing part of the profit may be less painful than <laughs> um, being taxed otherwise. So maybe that's one way to go about it. I I also look forward to the budget as well.
0: All right. Another point that investors, I think, are going to be looking out for is a deficit or surplus numbers for last year. And many analysts think that the government's budget deficit will come in lower than expected or that Wong may even announce a surprise surplus. Let's turn to markets now. The Straits Times Index is up 9.5% since the beginning of the year. And as we noted at the top of the show, bank profits also coming in strong. Sunny, what is your take overall on Singapore? Stocks moving forward.
1: Well, I think once we get Ukraine out of the way, um, and with the light at the end of the tunnel, as I mentioned earlier, I think um, overall risky markets like stocks um, have a better outlook. Um, if I compare that relatively speaking to, let's say, for example, bonds, because we, as we all know, the principle is as, as rates go higher, as rates normalize, bond, bond bonds get pressured lower, bond prices go lower. So I think there's going to be a shift and a rethinking of certain portfolios that have been heavily in bonds um, to risk to, to slightly more riskier markets, to alternative investments and such. Um, and therefore, Singapore markets will probably do okay. Uh, and that's on the caveat that nothing blows up in, in the Ukraine.
0: All right. Let's check in on the stock market. You will be trading at 3253 down 0. 0.45 of a percent. And overall, let's take a look at the STI this morning at 3422.51. That is up by 0.03%. Thanks for being with us here on Market View. He's Sunny Hamid, Director for Wealth Management at Financial Alliance. Before acting on the information on Money FM.